Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Five Hole Fantasy Hockey Podcast. I'm your host today, TJ Branson. I'm rocking Tuesday Trends here solo. Uh, Zach and Raj are both not feeling 100%, so uh, they're taking the day off. They are day-to-day. Um, if this is your first Tuesday Trends, first of all, welcome. Uh, the plan today is to... We're vetting hot and cold streaks, so there's a ton of players that are starting off cold, and I want to dig into the numbers to find out whether or not it's true if that's just how they're going to be going forward and um you know on the other side of the coin i'm also going to be talking about these hot guys <laughs> i'm going to talk about these hot players who are uh playing way above their pay grade punching above their weight class all that kind of stuff and, and see what we can realistically expect you know alex tuck shooting at a 115 point pace dominic kubelik at 150 point pace you know we're going to dig into that and um you know, when we say temper expectations, we don't really tell you where your expectations should be. And that's the plan today. Uh, after everybody, every player that we have here, we're going to be, you know, given a buy low, sell high. Are we holding? Are we cutting? Uh, that kind of thing as well. So we have 10 players on the docket, five hot, five cold. And we're going to get to those in a minute. But um, like I said, it's just me tonight. So rocking no edits, just going to be going straight through. There's going to be ums. There's going to be pauses. There's going to be you know, drink breaks. Actually, I don't have a drink down here. So, um, yeah, we're just going to rock it. We're five hole. I don't even remember if I said this before, but, uh, we're on Twitter at FHF hockey. We got the fantasy hockey discord and, um, yeah, let's get into it. So we're going to start vetting these hot and cold streaks. Uh, let's do injuries. First off, Justin Danforth left Saturday's game, did not play Sunday has been a bit of a surprise so far this season. Two goals, one assist in six games. Up and down the lineup, you know, got his chance with uh, Johnny Gaudreau, then sort of fell down. I, I believe he's out indefinitely, so uh, you're going to have to, you know, I guess, I don't know. I don't know the full scope of his injury there. Uh, Mark Borjewski was stretched off the ice after getting hit into the boards while he was off balance. Luckily, no major injuries. You know, he's resting at home you hate to see stuff like this happen. Like he's, he's good for hits. He's good for pims. Glad he's okay more than anything, but you know, he's a, he's kind of a deep league, um, own. So I don't know. Uh, you know, I care more about the player at this point because he shouldn't really be, uh, throwing anybody's rosters into a frenzy, you know, uh, Yanni Gord's going to be back on Tuesday. Uh, from what I saw today, an update from Canucks, um, Quinn Hughes is week to week. Brock Besser's day to day. Man, things are going to be weird in in Vancouver land up for a while. Um, I would guess that Oliver Ekman Larson takes the top power play. I know there were, um, you know, people were impressed with Jack Rathbone on uh, on power play too. So I wonder if he gets a shot, if he gets a look, something like that. But I think you know they're they're winless at this point in regulation. So it's you know they. They want to put their guys like this is not the time to be screwing around to, uh, you know, experiment with Jack Rathbone. So that's just my educated guess. I, th- I think it's going to be OEL. Um, you know, he's he's bound to be out there on a bunch of leagues. So if, if you're looking for a two week, hopefully at best top power play option, I think OEL could be that guy. Philip Heedle, uh turned up to skate up ice as uh, Cole Sillinger was passing close by. You know, the two guys collided. Heedle took the brunt of this. It's logged as a upper body injury. Um, he's in concussion protocol. He's going to miss a week and four games. I think the update said, uh, so 
They're going to shake up that third line, I think, and we'll see what happens. My guess would be uh, Barclay Goudreau maybe goes to the center or they move somebody up, move things around. Uh, that's how that's going to go. JVR blocked a shot, hurt his hand. We're hoping that it's not broken. There's no timeline. If it is broken, that's going to be a month. He's got five points in six games so far, two of them goals. That sucks. Um, you know, Flyers were playing way above. Like, if we were doing Tuesday trends just for teams, I would have the Flyers, like, they would be doing worse. Vancouver, they'd be getting better. So uh, I'm going to pause this, actually, and get a drink. All right. Got my drink. So a lot of, you know, as the season is still young and that whole thing, a lot of what we say is going to follow the same format. You got a small sample size and with small sample size, it's easy to have low or high percentages like IPP shooting percentage. And it's really easy just to shrug it off and say like, oh yeah, this is going to come down. This is going to go up. When the truth of it is you look at some of these names and you know, it's distinct, right? All the all the cold streaks are guys that you drafted in the first five rounds or top one or two rounds like Huberto, JT Miller. And then most of the cold streaks are like, or most of the hot streaks rather, are guys you picked up off the waiver wire. And we want to know like, you know, is that going to keep going? Or, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, free money kind of thing. Like, so is this free pickup going to continue producing for me? Is my hefty investment going to start to pay off? So that's what we're here for. And, um, before we really get into this, like, I, you know, some of these guys have seven games, some of them have six, and others have like five. So if you're looking at somebody, and this, this came up, you know, over the last two or three episodes, uh, particularly with Taylor Hall, like, again, you go on the fantasy hockey subreddit and you see, like, oh, you know, Taylor Hall, he's, you know, he's playing so well. Like, should I pick him up? Like, he looks so great. Uh, you know, Boston's playing awesome. And then you scroll down, like, I don't know, a dozen posts or something. It's like, I'm dropping Taylor Hall. Like, because there was two games in between or three games in between where he didn't, he didn't score. And it's easy to, to see these guys that you drafted, you know, at X value and they're not producing at X value just yet. You know, mainly like guys like Timo Meyer or JT Miller or Jonathan Huberto, Moritz Sider. Um, who's the last guy we got on here for, for cold? Uh, Brent Burns, even who, you know, these guys are, are high draft capital and you really want them to, to start paying off. And, you know, you get impatient at the beginning of the week, uh, the year, right? So uh, we are going to start off with the hot streaks and uh, we'll get to cold streaks here in a little bit. All right, first hot streak, and it's, it's mainly to get it out of the way because I'm not a big fan of diving into the sustainability of goalies. It's easily the most volatile position uh, in terms of consistent performances, and it's Eric Comrie. So you look at the best goalies in the league, right? So think back to, Christ, what was it, two and a half weeks ago when we were all putting together our, our draft list, right? Andre Vasilevsky, one or two. Shesterkin, one or two. UC Soros, probably inside the top five. You look at these guys, right? Vasilevsky has one start this year under 900, which if you take his entire game log so far this season... That's 25, maybe it's 20. No, it's 25% of his starts. So 25% of his season has stunk. And it starts to sing when you look at, uh, you know, these, you have one bad game and it throws off your entire percentage. Uh, Shesterkin, 
like uh, you know, two sub 900 performances to date, and one of them was a really bad start. And I mean, that's 50% of his season so far. Uh, UC Soros, man, like he was across the fantasy landscape, right? So he was he was a top five goalie, and now he's sub 900 for the year. Um, Soros is somebody in Vasilevsky too. These are guys that are probably going to see 60 starts. So we're four, five starts into this 60 game uh, marathon, you know, for these guys. So there's plenty of time for this to um, start to level out. You know, there's guys in the discord dropping uh, or telling stories about people dropping Demko. And I think somebody hit me up on Twitter today. Uh, somebody dropped Sorokin. I'm like, yeah, they, his his goalies were actually pretty good. Like he's got two guys. Shoot, I forget who his goalies was. I was talking to um, and I I don't mean to blow up his spot. Hopefully, um, you know, I'm not gonna drop names or anything. So there's still anonymity for you. But uh, he's got Demko, Soros, and Bennington. Those are his three goalies. And I'm like, you know, two of those guys that you got, Demko, Soros, those are hard rosterable players right now. It's like it's tough. And you see Sorokin and. When they're on the waiver wire, all you see is potential, right? And when they're when they're on your roster, you you see all the flaws, and so there is this kind of um, you know it's hard to pick out and it's hard to really uh, make sense of it when you're when you're in the thick of it because when when you're looking at somebody on the wire, all you see is the ceiling, and when they're on your roster, all you see is the disappointment. So it's it's a little bit weird. Um, in that instance, I don't know who would be my drop. Uh, you know, we had we talked back and forth on Twitter a little bit in the DM. So that's that. But we're talking about Eric Comrie here. And, um, you know, in the grand scope of things, Andre Vasilevsky, you know, had a sub 900 start. I think it was his first game even, or maybe it was like the first two. And people were freaking out like, oh, man, Andre Vasilevsky is supposed to be this bulletproof goalie. Um, you know, it's just and two sub 900. Like people are frustrated as hell. And with that, you start to see these like uh, – you know, you get your pulse on, on things like, you know, inside the fantasy hockey discord, you see who people are, are mad at. Right. So you see who people are like, Oh my God, is this guy ever going to, uh, and you start to like collect those names like a sponge and you, you build your own by low pretty much like a scrapbook. Right. So you have all these names that people are pissed off at and, and you know, you can build your own, uh, projections or what you think the rest of their season is going to look like. And with that, you just go out, you can, by these guys that people are frustrated with Eric Comrie might be one of the first sell high opportunities that we have. Uh, and again, it's a goalie. So it's hard to pace out what he's going to do for the rest of the year. Right. You know, three goalies that we've already talked about Vasilevsky, Shosturkin and Soros. These are guys that had a wide array of confidence going into the year. And in terms, uh, and they're on teams that everybody expected to do well. And then that brings us to Buffalo, right? And Eric Comrie. And we got two games from Comrie in Buffalo. He's got 31 games in his career. Uh, last year, Winnipeg, he had uh, 19 games, right? And he, in those 19 games, he had a 920 with a 10-5-1 record and a goals allowed average under three. So those are good stats because the Jets were not a good defensive team last year. They were seventh most expected goals allowed per game. They gave up the 11th most shots. They gave up the third most high danger chances. Uh, they were tied with Detroit in high danger chances. Just for reference, they gave up the sixth most scoring chances. It was just, it was a bad environment for a goalie to be in. And Comrie still put up good numbers despite that. So with that, you can kind of, 
you know, start to paint a picture of, of what he'll be capable of in Buffalo, because, you know, this is a team that yes, is trending up and maybe it's, you know, some people think it's happening a little quicker than others. And, um, you think back the past, I don't know what, three, four years, Buffalo does this every year. They, they come out hot. Um, and then, you know, it, it, they, they start to come back down. Like last year, they started the year five, four and one, they scored over three goals a game or no, they scored three goals a game on the dot power play was at 26%. And then at the end of the year, they finished under 500 as a team uh, with just under three goals a game. And their power play went down too. Uh, the year prior, they came out of the gate four, four and two, a 500 team, three goals, four per game. Again, power play was 31%. They finished 15, 34 and seven with 2.5 goals per game and then 21% power play percentage. So the power play went down 10%. Um, Goals four per game. They lost half goal per game over the course of the whole season. 1920, this one's astounding. Came out of the gate 8-1-1, one, one, scoring almost four goals a game. Their power play was 31%. They finished under 500 with a 19% power play. And in the first 10, they were 31. And they pretty much cut their goals four per game in half. And, you know, this all this to say that, like, I know this is not the same Buffalo team, right? You know, going back to 1920, like, that's still, I'm pretty sure that's still a Jack Eichel team, right? And, uh, you know, their hot start this year, they're at 4-1-0, 4.4 goals a game, and a 17% power play, which, you know, is not as hot as they have been in recent years, but it could be indicative of things to come. And with all of that, you start to see that Buffalo, you know, they come out really hot, and then they start to cool off. That's just history. That's what's happened, you know, pretty much every year for the last three or four years. Um, and I, you know, I'm not guaranteeing that that's going to happen. I'm definitely not guaranteeing anything's going to happen when we're talking about a goalie, but, um, you know, we only have these two games of sample data and it's good, but I do think, you know, there's guys out there that probably went zero G and, you know, they don't have the strongest fantasy net. And I think you're going to, you're going to ride Comrie for a little bit, like treat yourself like a, like a GM that has two strong goalies. Like say you're, I don't know, uh, Vegas right now, right? So you're going to ride the hot hand or you're, you know, Boston or, or one of these teams that we thought had a tandem. Uh, you're riding the hot hand the same way a GM would or a, or a coach would, right? And right now, Comrie's got those hot hands. And, you know, I, I really wanted to try and disprove this, right? So that's kind of how I go into everything. Um, I try and argue both sides or I, I try to. Um, when I'm like coming up with, you know, my reasons, I, I try to argue for, and then I try to argue against at the same time. I want to cover all the bases. And I really wanted to spiel about how Buffalo, you know, their, their opponents weren't good, <laughs> but they, um, they already posted 40 save wins against Calgary and Edmonton. So I think we can ride Eric Comrie a little bit more. And then this week, man, they got, uh, Seattle, Montreal, Chicago, and then a week following that, you start with Detroit. And then, you know, you start to see some, like, pretty good teams. Pittsburgh, Carolina, Tampa. And Detroit even looks good this year. Um, but, you know, Seattle, Montreal, Chicago this week is pretty friendly. So, I, you know, I picked up Comrie myself. I'm riding this one. And, uh, you know, I try to practice what I preach a little bit. Um, I did drop Bouchard, just for anybody out there. 
Uh, and I want to reiterate, there were there were there was a bunch of fine print to that take. Okay, guys, uh, you know, kind of get inflamed a little bit for that take, but I'm gonna let it play out. I still have faith that uh, it was the right move. I dropped him in in our listener leagues. I have Darlene, Hedman, Sergachev, and Kalen Addison as my defensive core. So feeling pretty good about it. I got Marchand coming back soon. There were things I had to do. I'm not just saying like Bouchard is a blanket drop, but uh, there's definitely instances where he is. And, you know, I'm just taking the balls out move. Um, Anyway, back to Comrie. You know, it's far from a guarantee that any goalie is going to be sustainable or consistent. But in terms of hot hands, Eric Comrie's got him. And, you know, it's really hard to argue with the numbers he's already put up. But do you really do you trust the Sabres this year? They haven't scored less than three goals per game. um, And they're second in the league with 4.4 goals per game right now. They're fourth in goals allowed. So uh, it's a little bit concerning that they're first in shooting percentage and the entire league. And they are amongst the top 10 in shots allowed per game, which is typically good for a goalie. But it's just it's hard to keep up over a long period of time, seeing all those shots all the time. So there is volume to be had there. Um, you know, it, it does kind of seem like a recipe for disaster, but if you were somebody that's going zero G or like me only drafted two goalies and then camp Talbot went out right away, Eric Comrie is the guy uh, you should be riding right now. Uh, I don't know if Buffalo long-term is going to have a save percentage as good as that, but for now it is what it is. Next up is uh Oh, uh, I guess I'm not really like buying, but I'm holding Eric Comrie. Uh, and I, I don't think I'd be selling unless like, you know, you can get a kind of underperforming goalie. Ilya Sorokin's getting dropped. Thatcher Demko's getting dropped. Uh, I don't think a one for one is really going to float. So it's kind of hard to sell somebody that I don't think anybody's going to buy. But if you can, absolutely go for it. Um, Flurry might be a good target right now because I have I have a ton of faith in the wild. Uh, they are they're flailing right now. I don't know what what's going on. Like, there's blood in the water there. They're Ryan Hartman's all over the place in the lineup. They're Freddie Gaudreau's on the top line right now. They're trying a lot of stuff. So they're, I don't know, they're throwing stuff at the wall. They're panicking. Same as we are. Um, all right, let me get one more gin. And I'm going to talk about Alex Tuck. Two Buffalo Sabres to lead it off, huh? And it is kind of fitting that a lot of our hot hands we're Sabres. A lot of people uh, curious about like J.J. Paterka, Dylan Cousins is plastering shots on, uh, Casey Middlestat. But we had to go with, uh, we could only pick 10 for this one. Um, all right, Alex Tuck, he's always kind of been a special case. Like he was buried in Vegas, third line kind of guy. He was traded to Buffalo, started seeing better minutes. So with him, I want to take just his Buffalo data. 55 games for the Sabres. In that span, he's got 45 points. And that's a 67-point pace, and that is a lot more palatable, a lot more believable than what he's doing right now. He's got a 115-point pace. So right off the bat, we can say Alex Tuck is not a 100-plus point player. Uh, Buffalo is overperforming. Like I said earlier, they lead the league in in shooting percentage. They're second overall in PDO, which is uh, shooting percentage plus save percentage. The only team that's ahead of them is Dallas. And PDO is pretty pretty reliable to come back down to a hundred percent or up to 100%, whatever, because you think about it, like at the end of the year, you take all the shots and all the save percentages, they should cancel out because every shot and goal, you know, was either saved or scored. So it should 
even out to 100%. And amongst all the teams, like some teams are going to get a little luckier. Some teams will, you know, float with their shooting percentage. But I don't know. They're they're very, very high. The PDO, I think, was 109, which is wild. Uh, Buffalo, you know, like I said, they come out of the gate hot. Uh, and, you know, it's all to say that based on Alex Tuck's stats at the moment, his personal stats, he's shooting 40%. But the shot volume is good. So it is reassuring for long-term success success here. Uh, but I, I don't think he keeps up 40%. That's just straight up not going to happen. Um, so again, I don't think Alex Tuck is a 100-point player, but I think he is going to be rosterable because I think that 60-65-ish point pace that he's produced over his span in Buffalo, I think that's more that's more indicative of who he is. Uh, so as long as he keeps up that shot volume. And I... This one might be a fun sell high because I think if you can turn him into somebody that's underperforming, uh, you know, that's more of a more of a stable bet for 70-ish points, you know, somebody you feel comfortable with. And, you know, I, I put a lot of, like, really uh, optimistic guys on here. Like, you might be able to sell them. And tell me if you can because I don't, I don't think – like, I have some more realistic guys coming up. But, uh, you know, Giroux. Kuznetsov, Philip Forsberg, Buchnevich, Fiala. You know, I'm just wishful thinking here for you guys, but I think the the more realistic targets could be guys like maybe Tavo Teravainen, uh, Rob Thomas, maybe guys like Lucas Raymond uh, in points-heavy leagues. And, I, you know, on Alex Tuck, I think he's going to be a fun hold. Um, he's getting good deployment. He is thriving alongside the underperforming savers. So he is um, he's in a, he's in a place to succeed. And on the other side of it, like, you you know, you want the Sabres to be interesting. I just don't know if there is sustainability to, to this. You know, they don't shoot enough per game as a team. And Tuck does get three shots on game, which is nice. It's good to see. But he's only got one power play point on a team that currently has a bad power play. So I think, I wonder if this could wash out. Like, you know, obviously he's not going to score as much at even strength over the course of a season. Maybe the power play comes back. So, you know, a hot hand is one thing, but this is this truly is a different level. Uh, the Sabres as a whole, they're overperforming. You know, you got to take advantage of it while you can. That's how you win weeks. Uh, you know, you get to you get to the championships and then you capitalize on unsustainability. That's, you know, that's what we want in our streamers. Uh, long-term holds is another thing, but uh, right now you got to capitalize on this one. Uh, the next one. I might break some hearts on this one. Just a couple, though, because J.J. Moser is not widely rostered at this point. Um, the best thing about him is his time on ice, which has been insane. Like, he's getting deployed on the top power play, seeing two-thirds of the power play time on ice there. But, I mean, damn, the the sustainability, everything is tough. Um, he's got one goal on five shots in five games. So he's shooting once a game. Shooting percentage is twenty percent for a defenseman. You gotta call the under, a hard under at that point. Every single assist that he has this year, there's three. All of them are secondary. I don't think his offensive production is is close to sustainable. It, you know, and just the Arizona Coyotes at that too. Like, um, I built this little team thing. Their power play is fifty percent better than it was last year. They're score. They're allowing a lot more goals. They're scoring less, and they are shooting less than they were last year, and a lot less than they were 
Um, actually, their power play is 125% better, but it's 50% better than league average. I was reading the wrong column. Um, they're scoring more. They're letting up a lot more goals. So, I don't know. A lot of dogfights, I guess. But back to Moser, like, you know, his goals are unsustainable at 20% with one shot a game. His assists are unsustainable with three out of three being secondary. So, that like, this is going to be a hard under. So, I'm going to straight up say J.J. Moser is, is not going to continue even close to this pace. And that's tough because he is such a good streaming option right now. Uh, but nothing sustainable. So, if, if you can sell, I would sell. Um, you know, he's an unnamed, unknown name with middling peripheral value and obviously overperforming anybody that, you know, knows hockey is going to know what's up with that. So it's going to be a really hard sell. And on that note, you just got to ride the wave at this point, but you have to have an extremely, extremely short leaf. If he, a leash, if he goes like one or two games, I'd be fine cutting him fine. You know, Arizona has a, a brutal start of the season schedule. I think it was, um, this might be wrong, but like 75% of their games were on the road to start this season. I think it was like 19 out of 24 games were on the road. Um, and over the next six weeks, they only have uh, four off nights. They also have a one-game week and a two-game week. So it's it's a really bad time, uh, you know, going up to Christmas shit um, to trust the Coyotes and, and to lean on them offensively. And there's, a you know, a fair amount of people – uh, who are actually in bangers leagues who are talking about Clayton Keller. And, you know, if the long term isn't good, like if you can't trade him, because uh, he doesn't really have a ton of peripheral value and he's not exactly scoring enough to make up for it, uh, you know, the next six weeks are going to be tough. Uh, like I said, there's that one game week, which is weird. And it's hard enough to trust the Sabres and the, <laughs> the Coyotes are just on a different level. Like uh, JG Moser, he, uh, yeah, he's on the ice a lot. Uh, but he doesn't shoot. He's on a team that is last in shots per game. And, I mean, if you're relying on assists from the Coyotes, like goals need to happen for assists, uh, they only have 13 goals on the season, which is third least in the league, and J.J. Moser has been a part of four of them. He scored one of them, shit. So, I don't know. There's a lot not to like here. Um, sell if you can, but this, this might be a guy that, um, you know, if things start to – trend even slightly down i'd be fine cutting him because he's not like that attractive of a name that he's getting snatched up and right now i'm speaking from like a 12 team redraft perspective so you know there's not a lot to love uh or you know there's not a lot that's super attractive if he winds up being a waiver wire name all right next up is hot topic dominic kubalik man eight points in his last four games seven of which happened in the last three games um during those three games, he's been moved up to the top line. Three goals, five assists, 14 shots, four power plays, four hits. That's 131 pace, 131 point pace on the year. So there's that. He's shooting 21.4%, which if you know, if you think back to his um his rookie year, or maybe it was a rookie year, maybe it was a sophomore, I forget. But uh, you know, uh, when he really put up a bunch of goals, I think it was like 30 some odd. He was shooting high then too. And I think while he's in the Bertuzzi spot, he's going to be good. This is going to be a guy that Zach talked about him in the last show. This is a guy that's a hold, and it, it's tough. We we got a really tough question today from somebody on Twitter. It was like, you know, Kubelik is is too hot to drop right now. 
do I drop Raymond? And, and on that, like, you know, if you got to drop somebody, I would drop Kubelik. You know, I'm not going to sell later for right now uh, because Kubelik, like, there's an expiration date on that, right? Like, you would think, uh, you know, Bertuzzi comes back, he's probably going to take his spot. But, like, if Kubelik keeps performing at this level, like, you know, it's a new coach, right? So it's it's uh, Lalonde right now versus Jeff Blaschel last year. So there's no reason for Lalonde to have to stick to Jeff Blaschel's line combinations. Like, if Kubelik does well enough, there's no reason for that to be called Bertuzzi's spot because you have new management in there. So I don't know. Bertuzzi is out at least for a month, seven of his eight points. Um, have happened since that injury. And in that span, he's got three multi-point games in a row. Over four shots in that span per game and uh, an additional four minutes and 50 seconds per game. So that's a 40% uptick from when uh, when Bertuzzi was still healthy. You know, if the time on ice continues, Kubelik is going to be viable for that whole time. And I'm not going to say that, like, he's scoring two points per game, but he's going to be in a good situation. So if, if you have the flexibility to keep Dominic Kubelik even through tough weeks. Like I think he's somebody you're probably going to roster over somebody else. Uh, so this is one of those cases where, you know, a streamer turns into a hold and he winds up leapfrogging somebody on your roster to the point where he's no longer the worst person on your roster. Uh, so just, you know, be mindful of that. And like I said, like, I don't know if that is really in, in concrete Bertuzzi spot. So, uh, you know, when you think about it, why change it if it if it continues to work like this? Um, I do think he's going to dip down a bit, and I don't think that's a hot take from 130 point pace. And um, you know, the next three to five weeks, there's no reason to to think that Kubli can't continue this unsustainable play over that span because that's what it is. It's unsustainable. But like, if you if you think about data analytics, like guys want tens of thousands of data points to get a reliable sample size. And every hockey season is 82 games, which relative to what people are comfortable with in terms of like getting an actual sample and being able to trend, that's incredibly small. That's like 1% of the sample size you need. Uh, so that's how easy it is for unsustainability to happen for a whole season. I do think he's probably going to continue somewhere around point per game for the next few weeks. There's going to be little cold streaks, two games where he does nothing, and then he's going to have another multi-point game, and things are, you know, I do think he has evolved into a hold. Um, you know, over the next three weeks, he, fuck, he put up, what, eight points in the last, th seven points in the last three games? He's already got a head start on point per game. He could go to the next four games without a point, and he'd still be point per game. So, I don't know. It feels like a hot take to say over the next few weeks he's going to be point per game, but looking at the head start he's already given himself and the deployment and how he has adapted to it. I think he's going to be good. He's going to give you that 70 to 80 point pace for the next few weeks. And as that starts to evolve and people start to see him as a, as a more reliable source of income, quote unquote, um, you might be able to trade him. This might be a guy that you can move out for, for somebody a little more stable. Um, all right, next up, David Krejci, and I think he's the last hot streak. Yeah, I love holding this guy, especially in points leagues. Like, we, we talked about him. He's somebody who's kind of a bummer in Cats leagues, and it is true. He doesn't do a ton, uh, but right now, he like, he, he's outpacing a lot of his league averages when it comes to his periphery. 
Seven points in six games. He's got three power play points, and that's banned. Three hits, five blocks through six games. So, you know, pacing those things out, it starts to it makes it a little easier to to take the under. Uh, seven points there, two goals, five assists. His shooting percentage is high, 20%, and the shot volume's low. So that's a bad look. That's, you know, that's the recipe for this is going to cool off. Uh, half his points are on the power play. With that, you know, Marchand kind of looming. He's been practicing on the quote-unquote fifth line. Uh, you know, he's still taking reps at practice, but he hasn't really resumed skating in in his spot on the top line. So Marchand's not close, close, but he is kind of close. Um, and I, after that happens, like, I, I really want to see what happens with David Krejci. Is he somebody that keeps his spot, or is it somebody like Jake DeBrusque who, who's also thriving? So I think uh, if he does keep the top power play, because like I said, um, you know, half of his points right now are on the power play. So you'll look at the trend. Uh, if if he winds up staying on the power play, there's no reason to say he can't be like 60, 65 points going forward. And he's been in and around those numbers for two of his most recent, two of his most three recent NHL seasons. You know, goal scoring is not his thing. Overall point tail totals is. He's he's an assist guy, which doesn't really translate to categories leagues. But if you're in a points league, you should be absolutely happy that you got this guy. If you snatched him up off the waiver wire or whatever, um, be stoked. You know, 75% of his time on ice so far has been spent on the ice with David Pasternak. And that's a good amount of time for somebody who's looks to be legitimately in the Rocket Richard race this year. So... You know, he, he might keep scoring points, but I don't think the perifs they're not going to be there. That's not his that's not his bread and butter. He don't do that. So, you know, if, if 60 points, 65, maybe 70 is is relevant to you in a points league, I think Krejci is a hold. If somebody you might even be able to sell because right now he is technically over point per game. So, you know, bill him as that. Make him your, uh, make him your trade bait. All right, fun part. Cold streaks. And we're going to start off with uh, with Timo Meyer. And this is tough because, you know, I, I invested heavily in Timo Meyer myself. All right, let's talk about just San Jose right now. Their power play is over half as effective as it was last year. And it's even worse when you compare it to the league average this year. Their shooting percentage is 6.7 as a team. Last year, they were closer to 9. Um save percentage they're not doing well the goals allowed has gone up the goals four has dropped to under two last year they were at like 2.6 this year they're at 1.8 and you know i'm using this as kind of a way to excuse what's happening to team Almeyer, but he's one of the players that should be contributing to those goals four per game right like it, it chicken or the egg right so um is Timo Meyer not doing well because the team's not doing well, or is the team not doing well because Timo Meyer's do not doing well? And I reached out to Curtis Pashelka, who's one of the beat writers um, for the sh- for the Sharks, and he was really impressed with Timo Meyer's last game. He said like he he was doing really well, protecting the pucks, doing all the right things, getting back into his physical game, and he looked really strong. So, you know, as somebody who he does, he has the highest expect a goal to goal differential in the league and things are going to all of his numbers suggest that he is going to explode like this seems like a powder keg uh the shooting percentage obviously zero percent that's way below uh where it should be then again those expected goals for 
suggest that he is getting to the right areas. It's just they're not going in. And and things like that are going to happen in hockey. And there's going to be, you know, a week or two. I I don't I can't give you an exact date when he's going to start scoring, but I think when it does happen, the monkey's off the back and, and the floodwaters go up. You know, look at his on ice shooting percentage. It's it's two point five percent. So everybody that he's on the ice with is also snake bitten. And it that sucks. Like it should be a lot closer to eight or nine percent. So a lot um a lot needs to happen for for things to for things to go right. Like I don't know. Curtis the Pashalka, the beat writer, he, you know, he was very impressed with Timo Meyer. He's confident that things are gonna turn around and on Timo, like I, you know, don't panic. This is this is a guy that I would buy low. I would buy Timo Meyer right now. The shots on goal are still there. Uh, he's top five in shots right now. Uh, the hits are okay. You know, it's not as usual, but they're going to come. The Sharks are a problem as a team. The power play, I mean, the power play is at eight percent, which is nuts. Uh, awful. So you have to think things are going to turn around for the whole team, and and by virtue, you would think that Timo Meyer starts to. See a little more action. Yeah, that one's that one's tough. But I, I like I said, I would buy. You know, if somebody's selling or panicking or whatever, you know, go out and hit them up because Timo Meyer is somebody that, uh, you know, I said it last episode. This when you buy low on these, you know, high level panic players that people are freaking out about, you didn't have to deal with a cold streak, and you're hopefully you're just buying at a lower draft capital, you know, maybe you trade your seventh round pick or whatever. I don't know. But like you, you're not paying as much as they did for somebody who should end the year, uh, paying dividends on that. So don't panic. That's all I'm saying. Buy low. Brent Burns is another guy like, um, he's on a 49 point pace right now. So, you know, I don't know if that's short of expectations. People just want more, um, but the biggest thing that that I love, like, you know, I, I talked about this in the offseason. He is seeing less time on ice, two minutes, 30 seconds less than he was in San Jose. But I think the minutes, like, they went up in quality, right? So the line mates got better. The power play got better. Everything got better just by moving to Carolina. So I think it washes out because, you know, you're missing two and a half minutes. But over the course of a season, you know, the quality of those minutes goes up. There's still a shit ton of shots. He's got 18 through five, zero percent shooting. You know he's a defenseman, but he is one of those. I mean, at least he was fucking seven years ago, a threat for 30 goals. Um, he usually has a pretty high percentage of shots, so we'll see. I think when you when you look at Carolina as a whole, too, like I think they they get better. They're three and two right now, and I think expectations are higher for Carolina. Um, they were dominating the preseason, but their their opponents weren't, you know, they weren't the best. So I expect them to get more points. You know, Burns is going to start getting goals too. He's going to get more assists, and and things are going to click as he adjusts to his first new team in over a decade. Brindamore loves him. You know, he's going to deploy the hell out of him. He's getting a ton of offensive minutes, and you know, one three point night, he's back to point per game. You know, I think a lot of these players that are in the cold streak section, Burns might be my lowest level of concern. Like I said, he was a 50, what, 54 point pace, not even pace because he played all 82. He put up 54 points in San Jose last year. I think he's going to do better than that in a full season this year with a better team. 
So 49 point pace compared to his 54 point pace last year, you know, I'll take the over on both. Uh, you know, he's, he's got my lowest level of concern right now. Like, yes, when you look at all the, the stats and kind of dissect everything, there's a lot of unsustainability here. Like all three of his assists, same as JJ Moser are secondary assists. So, you know, his, his, but on the other hand, his IPP is crazy low compared to his own career averages. So I think things do wash out and he, he continues to float around that 50, 55, hopefully 60 point pace that uh, Tony D'Angelo and Dougie Hamilton were able to put up in the same role. So I think Brett Burns falls well within that category of level of skill and things like that. So I think things turn around for Carolina as a whole. And as a result, Brent Burns, you know, things aren't terrible for Brent Burns right now in terms of like reputation or level of panic around the world, around the fantasy landscape. So if you can buy, I would, but, um, I don't think you're going to get a discount on some of these guys like uh, like you would on Timo Meyer or Johnny Huberdeau, who's up next, um, who's actually a pretty curious case. So I'm going to move on from Brent Burns uh, and and go right into Huberdeau. You know, no goals this year. Uh, what's most concerning is his time on ice. Um, it's the worst it's been since the second year of his career. So things just aren't happening for him. They're not using him the way he's used to being used, which is weird because he went from line two in Florida to line one in Calgary and he lost time on ice. Really, really strange. At even strength, like Dylan Dubé is getting more five on five time on ice. Kadri, Mangiapane, Blake Coleman, Mikhail Backlund, Elias Lindholm, all these guys are getting more five on five time on ice. And that's not what typically happens for a first line forward. So I think the even strength time on ice does come up as Daryl Sutter starts to trust him more and, and sees the offensive uh, skill set that he has. Um, new players on different teams, they take a little bit of time to figure it out. You know, we've seen that from other players too. And it's hard to hard to push that narrative right now with Nazem Kadri playing the way he is as also a new player on this, on a new team. Um I think what's most concerning is the time on ice and the lack of shots. Uh, the shots are weirder than anything. Like, he, what does he have? Six shots through five games or something crazy. Uh, you know, you got to think that time on ice goes up as his confidence goes. Confidence goes up with it. You know, his IPP should go up as well. <laughs> like at even strength and on the power play, it's way down from his career norm. So, you know, you take out the time on ice drop, and he's still getting in on less points than he should be. So I, you know, I'd be pretty confident in buying low on Huberto, you know, essentially a high definition Panarin, better shots, better hits, a lot of assists. Um, you know, I just don't see his production drying up like this. Like he's been on the ice for two goals for at even strength. Foley's been on the ice for one on ice goal for Lindholm, none. So like that line is suffering right now. Things are going to kick into gear soon enough. Since 2000. 2021 Huberto is fourth in the league for power play points. You know, he had 38 power play points last year um, with a 75% IPP on the men advantage right now, his power play IPP or the amount of goals that he gets in on uh, while he's on the ice is at 50. So you can expect his power play production to go up. You can expect his even strength time on ice to go up his even strength goals for and IPP to go up. Uh, all the numbers suggest that Huberto is not entirely to blame for his performance. The shots, that is on him. That's a that's a personal 
micro kind of like that. He controls that, which is weird. Uh, but maybe, you know, as a playmaker, he wants to be setting up his friends or his, you know, his buddies, his playmates. Um, I don't know. That's a weird one. But uh, like I said, my level of confidence is still pretty high in Jonathan Huberto as a player in Calgary. Uh, the Tom and Ice, you know, being, what, seventh on the totem pole behind Mangiapane, behind Coleman even, behind Backland, who right now is like the third-line center. Uh, but extremely useful in, um, you know, defensive situations. So I can see why, like, Sutter likes those guys. But it's just weird to be seventh, in the even strength Tom on ice one, two, three, four. Yeah. I think it's seven. Uh, very weird. So I, you know, I have confidence in, in everything going up. Next up is Moritz cider. Um, this one's pretty concerning, like not drop or sell or any of that concerning. It's just, it's the power play. Um, you know, we talked about Lalonde being a, a new player when we were talking about Kubelik here or a new coach rather. Um, just the way he's deploying his power play units like split that is what's concerning 21 of cider's 50 points last year were power play points his power play percentage is down but his power play time on ice is up so i think over the course of a year you know that time on ice is gonna even out but uh hopefully like you know i don't know what lalonde is doing until you see a healthy roster you know verona comes back and uh Bertuzzi comes back as well but Sider's got one point in five games right now still really good on periphery but the fact that he lost quote-unquote top power play to Philip Ronick um, who by the way has three power play assists in consecutive games and points in four straight is a little eye-opening and um, it doesn't bode well like you know I, I saw Tyson Berry scored tonight and it, it feels like every time somebody who usurps or seemingly usurps the power play and then does well. Like, you know, think about Severson last year, right? Like that should have been Dougie, Dougie spot, but he just kept doing it. He just kept doing well. So if that continues for Heronic, there's no reason for Lalonde to change the power play deployments at all. So that it's, it's a little bit disconcerting to see uh, Detroit's team stats. Everything's up from last year. So it seems like, seems like a weird unlucky break. And I think something I said at the top of the show where, um, you know, if you put these five games from Mord Sider in the middle of the season, you're not worried, right? So it's just four, it's a slump. And the fact that the slump is happening at the beginning of the year is just expounding the, you know, it's turning the volume, volume up on the level of concern. Um, yeah. He did have a power play assist in his most recent game, Moritz Sider here. Uh, but last year, he had two stretches of four or more games with no points. And one of those stretches was six six games long. Still put up 50 points. So, it, you know, if you're worried about the ceiling, um, I understand and I hear you. But, uh, you know, he did this. He did the same thing last year. This this has done nothing for his ceiling. What is worrisome is is that power play share like are they going to continue to split the power play um you know 42 percent of cider's points last year were from the power play if he doesn't get top power play 50 points is going to be hard to repeat um so you know things could recede on kind of a small level but uh, this is a guy who's an offensive banger that's going to continue to be useful and it's hard not to have faith in the offensive comeback uh you know i would definitely buy low on mart cider here and um 
I'd feel pretty good about it. Like, I think things are going to turn around for him as soon as the team gets healthy. I think, you know, hopefully they go back to, um, you know, quote unquote, normal power play units. Remembering, of course, that those were uh, Jeff Blaschel's power play units. So we'll see what Derek Lalonde does here. Last but not least, uh, actually maybe least, is uh, JT Miller, man. And a lot of this one is just going to be empirical data, right? So I test stuff. He looks bad. He looks like he doesn't give a shit. And, you know, there's plenty of Vancouver Canucks fans. I was talking to Raj about this one. Um, and you, you start to read some of the comments that are happening. You know, there was that quote that JT Miller came out with today that, um, you know, somebody threw a jersey on the ice and he was like, well, if you want to spend all that money and then throw your $200 jersey on the ice, like that's on you. And then the comments were just flaming him. Like, you know, if you want to get paid and then not play well, then that's on you. And it's weird. Like he's just, he's taking laps out there. He's treating games like uh like bag skate and just doing cardio. But then you look at the Canucks as a whole, like they're, they're in the bottom third on a lot. Uh, power play percentage, goals for, goals against even. Uh, they have the worst penalty kill in the league right now. And now they have, Quinn Hughes out for a while. Um, you know, Miller's got two goals, one assist, and his career shooting percentage is, you know, it's not far off what he's doing this year. The problem is just that, you know, he is still the team's best player. The Canucks in general are just spiraling, and it, it seems like a train wreck. Um, I think it is an early speed bump for him. He should be well above point per game. This is a guy that scored almost 100 points last year. Uh, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to, to find anybody that, thought there was going to be a repeat but you know still this this is a guy that uh got drafted in the first or the second round and and you're starting to panic out of all the guys that i want to talk about this might be the most concerning it's just the level of enthusiasm that i've seen from him or lack thereof i guess but i i don't know i just i don't necessarily trust jt miller with with how he's playing right now it looks like he's not invested and um you know, I know there's nothing on natural stat trick that that's going to back this up. You just have to watch a game and, it, you know, there's no investment per 60 or like, you know, umph per 60 or give a shit like a GAS stat. Um, I don't know, but I, I guess his gas per 60 is down. And that's a weird one. Uh, I'd be listening on trade offers for JT Miller, but uh, if they're embarrassing, I tell somebody to kick rocks like, the, you know, they've got to be real trade offers um and again i guess that that opens up by low uh but i would i would temper my expectations of of what you would expect jt miller to be which would in turn uh change what i'm willing to pay i guess is what i'm saying so like i don't know this one's a tough one i want to get rogers read on this one and like i said he's just tonight he's he's not feeling 100 percent. he's catching up on sleep um yeah so i mean that's all i got for you guys tonight thank you everybody that submitted uh players you know if you want to go more in depth just chirp me on twitter or you know in the discord whatever um you know i'll, I'll try to back up my arguments it has been kind of a, <laughs> a bit of a ramble that's what happens when i try to do everything in one take uh you know, I just wind up rambling and mouth gets dry. It's it's weird. Anyway, guys, that's it. So once again, we're on Twitter at FHF Hockey. If you guys are liking the show, 
uh, leave a review. Uh, we, we've gotten some good ones. We've gotten some bad ones recently. So, you know, if, if you like it, go for it. If, um, you know, even the bad one that we got was four stars and I wanted to shout out, um, you know, I'm sure they know who they are, but, uh, you know, thanks. Like you said, um, you said some honest stuff, right. And, uh, you didn't flame us for it. So I, you know, I tried reaching out to you, but, uh, you haven't seen it. Um, so, you know, thanks for being honest and, and thanks for not absolutely trashing your rating. Um, anyway, but if you guys are digging the show, I'm more than happy to, um, get those. Like that's, it's always so fun. I have alerts on my phone. I wake up, I get, you know, in my email inbox, new review. It's, it's awesome. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, we'll catch you next time. I think I'm sitting out the the weekend preview. You guys are going to have Raj and Zach for that one. So stay tuned. We'll, uh, they'll have you more than covered for the weekend and I'll be back for the week preview next week. So love you guys. Bye.